Calyx OS is soon coming to the Fairphone. NVIDIA has been hacked. We have some updates on Ukraine and a very important announcement, so please do not skip the promo spot if you normally do. Welcome to Surveillance Report number 78, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report will recap some of the most notable events from the last week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Henry, as you can see, is away this week, but will be returning next week. And by the way, the next couple of weeks are going to be a little bit odd. Next week, I will be traveling and Henry will be solo. And then the following week, we are both planning to be together, but we might be recording a day early. So thank you in advance for bearing with us. On that note, our promo spot this week is that we are starting a brand new channel just for Surveillance Report. We will begin uploading in April, so now is the time to go ahead and subscribe to make sure that you do not miss any episodes. We are working on finding a good PeerTube instance to join, and Odyssey will be opened as soon as we qualify for AutoSync, which should be very soon. For those of you who are listening to this in audio only, this honestly doesn't really affect you. Nothing's really going to change. This is only for video viewers. Now you can go ahead and skip to the content with the timestamps down in the description if you want. But for those of you who want a little more insight on why we're doing this, number one, this is going to be a lot cleaner for viewers. There is actually a pretty healthy amount of TechLore's audience only tunes in for surveillance reports. So if you're one of those people, this is going to make it a lot easier for you because you will only get surveillance report and you won't see TechLore's other content. For the record, though, I think he puts out really good content and I think you should stay subscribed. Number two, this is going to avoid some confusion. For example, a lot of people think that I am part of TechLore and I'm not. That's why I always say I'm Nathan from The New Oil. I have my own completely separate project where I do my own thing and I'm not involved with TechLore in any way except for this podcast. This podcast was originally a TechLore production, but when I joined on, it really kind of took on a life of its own and became this co-production thing. The last major reason is logistics. This, again, really doesn't concern you guys this is behind the scenes stuff but if we give surveillance report its own channel then that allows us to both have permission for the video and i can upload directly which means we should get a lot better about having content out on time regularly we can also establish a single support method that we split 50 50 so that way we're not asking you guys to donate to tech lore and the new oil or you know try and figure out which donation you want to use it'll be very easy you guys can donate one time and it supports both of us Kind of a lot of back-end logistical stuff that, again, you guys don't really need to worry about, but it will make things easier for you, too, and not just us. So, yeah, again, it's becoming its own channel. We will leave that link in the description. So if you enjoy Surveillance Report, which I assume you do if you're watching this, then please definitely go check that out. Subscribe now so that you don't miss any content. All right, we're starting off with our headline story, which is that Calyx OS is going to be supporting more devices very soon. There's a lot of custom ROMs out there nowadays. There's Lineage, there's E, there's Sailfish, there's Graphene, there's Calyx, but only some of them, like Graphene and Calyx, for example, support verified boot, which is a very important security feature to keep your phone safe. This is all really, really technical stuff that goes way over my head, but I know it's very complicated and a lot of it has to do with the hardware itself. Ironically, pixels are the devices that are most open in a hardware sense, and it makes them the best for verified boot and relocking the bootloader. That's why historically, Calyx and Graphene have only been available on pixels. I think Calyx actually had one or two others, but it's pretty much only been pixel devices. However, that is about to change. Calyx has announced that they are getting support for the Fairphone 4, thanks to a ton of work that has been put in by EOS and Lineage. They have not officially announced a release date yet, but they do say they are working on a version for the Fairphone 4, so it should be coming soon, all with verified boot. 
We normally don't report on things that are speculation like this, but I mean, again, they've announced they are definitely in process. Like this isn't just something that's on the roadmap, it's underway. So we should have more details soon. They also said they're working on support for the OnePlus 8T and the OnePlus 9, and they do list other devices that they can and cannot consider. So if you're curious if a device that you like is going to be supported soon, be sure to check out that link. Needless to say, we think this is very exciting news. The more devices we get that can be de-googled while still being secure is definitely a win for everybody. So good job, Calyx OS, and we are excited for that to come out. With that, we will jump into our data breaches. Our first data breach comes from Ukraine, where the data of 120,000 Russian soldiers has been leaked by the Ukrainian media. This includes names, addresses, passport numbers, unit names, and phone numbers. Some open source intelligence investigators on Twitter were able to verify some of the records, and at this time, it is unclear where the data came from. This is most likely an effort to just lower morale in Russian soldiers, just to kind of show, like, we know everything about you. The article goes on to discuss a little bit more of the ongoing cyber conflict part of the war, which I don't know if it's surprising to you guys or not, but there's not really much going on in the cyberspace, especially compared to the physical space, which personally I do not find terribly surprising. We mentioned that last week, that that's just a small aspect of what's going on in Ukraine. We're now going to move to Japan, where the Japanese beauty retailer Acro blames third parties for the breach of 100,000 payment cards. Acro says that two of the four product websites were compromised due to a third-party payment processor between May 21st, 2020 and August 18th, 2021. That is a massive window. This includes names, card numbers, expiration dates, and security codes, possibly usernames and passwords, but we're not sure about that at this time. So the defense here, of course, is to use payment masking cards and ghost addresses like PO boxes. Our next data breach comes from the State Bar of California. The uh, bar, for those who don't know, is I believe they're the ones who like approve lawyers, like you have to pass the bar, take a test, and then you become a, an actual lawyer. The California State Bar realized there was a public records website posting case profile data on about 260,000 non-public state attorney discipline case records, plus about 60,000 public case records. Basically, they found that there's a data scraping website, which is not too surprising. Although, again, they did have some non-public data that was not supposed to be public, so that is a little bit concerning. They were able to get the data taken down, and now they are trying to investigate and figure out how that data ended up there in the first place. Our next story, this kind of ties into the NVIDIA hack, which for the record, I, that's a really difficult place to figure out where to put that in, in our categories, but I decided to put it in companies, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. In the meantime, Lapsus, which are the same group that hacked NVIDIA, have also allegedly hacked Samsung and have spilled 190 gigabytes of data and source code. This includes source code for every trusted applet installed in Trust Zone, which we talked about last week. That is like the pre-boot security verification for Samsung to allow your phones to do secure stuff, which had a vulnerability in it. It includes the algorithms for all biometric unlock operations, which I'm sure is not good, bootloaders, Qualcomm source codes, activation servers, and source code for authorizing and authenticating Samsung accounts. So definitely a major security leak, not good stuff. And our final data breach, this one's a little bit different, but I still felt it was worth sharing. The headline says, a T-Mobile employee says she helped a woman spy on her husband, now there's trouble. It's important to note this story may not be true. There's someone on TikTok who's claiming that she, a T-Mobile employee, helped a customer track down her cheating husband by accessing where the phone was at that moment. 
It's TikTok. It's entirely possible it's made up. Although several people in the comments were like, yeah, I've totally done that kind of thing too. We don't really know any details beyond that, to be totally honest. It could be like a solidarity thing. Like, yeah, I've been cheated on too. It sucks. Let me help you out. Or it could be that maybe the lady was actually an authorized account holder and she was authorized to get this information and she just asked for it. What we do know is that this is actually very possible. Even if the story didn't happen, the concept behind it is 100% believable. Remember that telecommunications companies know everything about your phone at any point. A rogue employee or a malicious attacker can access all of that data if they have the proper access. That's why I wanted to share this. People are acting kind of, oh my God, she shouldn't have done that. And maybe she shouldn't have, but in my opinion, the data's still there. That's a weird thing that's always just kind of stuck out to me. Like with the whole Cambridge Analytica thing with Facebook, which if you don't know about that, you should watch, uh, I think it's the great hack. But it always kind of surprises me that people don't mind that somebody collects all this data, but all of a sudden when somebody improperly accesses it, then they're like, oh, this is bad. Well, if it's bad in the wrong hands, why is it okay in the right hands? Personal opinion, that's something that's always confused me. But anyways, just be aware, your phone is not your friend. With that, we will move into company news and we will start with the NVIDIA hack. So NVIDIA, they make very popular graphics cards. They were attacked by the Lapsus ransomware gang, which caused the outages of developer tools and emails. Lapsus claims they have stolen employee data and actually leaked some of it, some password hashes, and they are demanding that NVIDIA open source all their devices, which is definitely interesting. I don't think we've ever heard a ransom like that before. That's kind of the meat and potatoes of the story. We don't really have more details at this time, and this is an ongoing story. So we will definitely keep you updated if we hear anything more. Truthfully, I don't think NVIDIA is probably going to play ball, but you know, maybe they have something more valuable up their sleeve in terms of the data they stole. So again, we will keep you updated on that. Our next story comes from Google, where the headline says, Google's new tech can read your body language without cameras. Google's advanced technology and products division, known as ATAP, is working on using radar to detect your movements and make products respond. The examples they gave were, for example, turning off the TV when you fall asleep, or pausing the show when you get up to answer the door, or having the computer boot up when you approach it. Needless to say, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, I don't think this technology in and of itself is bad. I think it's really cool, and especially for differently abled people. I definitely see the value of something like this. Having said that, Google is at the helm, so I think we can already agree that it is in the wrong hands to begin with. I'm sure that this will be used for privacy invasive purposes, and I'm sure that Google will package this as a feature that will make your life easier, like I just described. Speaking of Google and privacy invasions, Google Messages is looking for your SMS donations to help improve categorization. Title kind of says it all. Google is asking users to opt into a program to help train their AI to detect types of SMS messages. For example, it can learn to detect two-factor codes if you're using TOTP, which you should not be using that if you have any other options, by the way. It can detect spam messages and things like that. So they're trying to get better at just categorizing the different types of messages that you get. You can remove any message content to avoid sending anything sensitive. Ideally, I think what they want is for you to remove payment amounts, names, things like that, but you probably could remove everything, which I guess wouldn't really be very useful. And it's not going to ask all users. Again, I want to reiterate, this is an opt-in program, at least for now. We'll see if they change their mind if not enough people opt in. So when you get the little notification, if you get the little notification, it'll ask you and you can say no at this time. Our next story comes from Facebook, where researchers find its apps can make us lonelier. Around here, we really hate Facebook and we never miss a good opportunity to remind everyone that Facebook is garbage and you should cut it out of your life. To kind of sum up the research in this article, the article talks about how different Facebook products elicit different responses in people. For example, showing a photo flashback can make some people sad and other people happy, which I think is kind of a 
duh thing because and I've actually had Facebook do this. For the record, I don't have Facebook anymore, but back when I had Facebook. If you're showing me a photo from a year ago when I was with my girlfriend and now we've broken up, obviously that's gonna make me sad. But if you're showing me a photo from a year ago when like me and all my friends went to that really awesome show and had a great time, that's gonna make me happy. It seems kind of like a no duh thing. The article goes on to say about how this is just a really difficult thing to tackle. I'm surprised that Meta's response was not, well, we just need more data so that we can predict what's gonna make people happy and sad. And anyways, Facebook can make you lonelier. Facebook's garbage. Again, we're mostly sharing this because we never miss a good opportunity to remind people of get rid of Facebook. It really just, my life has been so much better. It's awesome. Our next story comes from a Toyota supplier named Kojima Industries Corporation who has suffered a cyber attack that has halted Toyota productions. That pretty much says it all. Kojima for Toyota specifically, they make air conditioning units, steering wheel components, and other parts used in the car. I didn't put it in the notes, but from what the article said, this hasn't stopped Toyota entirely, but it has slowed them down. At this time, we don't know if there was any kind of a data breach or if this was just a like a ransomware or what the case was. As always, if we learn anything more, we'll let you know. And this is probably going to jack up car prices even more than they already are, which are pretty high for those that didn't know. Our final company story comes from CFMEU, which is in Australia, and they are challenging Visi's bid to track a union official. This is a union. It's the Construction, Forestry, Maritime, Mining, and Energy Union in Australia. They are accusing Visi Pulp and Paper Company of using COVID-19 tracking to discourage unionizing. Basically, a union rep visited the site because some of the employees had reached out and said, hey, we're interested in unionizing. And when they showed up, Visi was like, okay, you got to wear this Bluetooth tag as long as you're on site because that is used to enforce contact tracing and social distancing and all that stuff. And the union rep kind of pointed out, they're like, "Mm, no, actually, that is starting to get rolled back around here. So first of all, you shouldn't be forcing this on me in the first place. And secondly, you could very clearly use this to track which employees I talk to and stuff like that. So they suspect this is being used to try to crack down on unions and prevent unionizing. I really wanted to share that story because if you're watching this, you probably value privacy, but the big argument you hear is I have nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, neither are these people. Unionizing is their legal right. If anything, the company is doing something wrong by trying to prevent it. You do have perfectly legal things to hide and perfectly valid reasons. With that, we will move into research. We got some interesting ones this week. First of all, there is a remote code execution bug in a hugely popular voiceover IP library, Patch Now. So this was in a library called PJSIP, which is used virtually everywhere in voiceover IP solutions, which I personally very highly recommend. I think Henry does too. Your SIM card phone number in a lot of parts of the world is actually linked directly to your identity. Like you have to present an ID and register it in order to get it. But also here in America where that's not mandatory, it's still very heavily tied to you and it can be used to track you. So we firmly believe that if you are able to, you should use a voiceover IP solution to help compartmentalize your life and reduce some of that tracking. So again, this affects nearly every voice over IP solution. That library has been downloaded at least 2 million times a year and runs in over 1 million servers in 170 countries, powering things like call centers, carriers, governments, and more. Researchers found five memory corruption vulnerabilities, ranging from an 8.1 severity rating to a 5.9. I think it was three 8.1s and two 5.9s. I could be wrong. The article, as always, has more details. This affects WebRTC, FaceTime, and possibly Skype and Hangouts, as well as others, of course. It does not affect WhatsApp, and we only noted that because originally the headline said that it did, so that's a correction. Not much we can do here, just know that if you're using a voice over IP app, like MySudo or Hush, I don't know if those guys use PJSIP, but just be on the lookout for updates here in the near future, as if they do use it, they should be updating very soon. Speaking of Skype, a researcher has found a Chrome Skype extension with 9 million installs found to be leaking user info. 
Microsoft has patched this, but there was a bug in the Skype for Chrome plugin that allowed websites to scrape user data. Researchers called this flaw very simple. The plugin leaks your Skype name to any website that wants it, which can then be used to find usernames and profile images. So they could pretty much just ask. Definitely not the worst thing we've seen, but still not great. I don't think most websites would care, to be totally honest with you, when there's so many other ways of tracking you, especially if you're using Chrome and Skype, cough, cough. But it just does show that plugins are dangerous. We always say that. Remember, don't use a plugin unless you absolutely need it. Our next research article, it says behind the stalkerware network spilling the private phone data of hundreds of thousands. This article is basically a deep dive. They talk about a security vulnerability that was found in nine stalkerware apps that allowed anyone to access the data, not just the person who installed it or whatever, but anyone, as well as how to remove them. Now these are Android only. Apparently stalkerware is kind of difficult to do on iOS because they have better vetting procedures with their app store, but it's not unheard of. But yeah, this focuses on Android. The apps are Copy9, MX Spy, The Truth Spy, I Spy You, Second Clone, The Spy App, Exact Spy, Phone Tracker, and Guest Spy. So if you have any one of those, the article includes steps on how to remove them, but does warn you that if you have one of those, someone is probably stalking you and removing the app may actually alert that person that you're onto them. So if you're in that situation, just keep that in mind as you decide how to proceed. The article goes on to give a deep dive into the background of the quote unquote company behind these apps. And I say quote unquote, because it's a very convoluted long trail of shell corpse within shell corpse. And it's a really interesting read. And I recommend you guys read it if you have the time. It really gives you some insight into how a lot of these shady organizations work. Additionally, the lesson here is to remember to keep positive control of your devices whenever possible. Obviously, you can't like take your phone into the shower with you, but try not to leave them sitting around on desks, try not to leave them unlocked, things like that. Our next couple of stories to round out the research section, they're not really new stories, but they're worth repeating. The first one says over 100,000 medical infusion pumps vulnerable to years old critical bug. The researchers in this story found five 9.8 severity vulnerabilities in tens of thousands of devices. Usually when we cover these kind of stories, we say like, keep your stuff updated. Unfortunately, none of these have patches, but they do have mitigations that the people who control these devices, the, the IT guys and whatever, were not putting in place. Remember, even if something doesn't have patches, be aware and learn how to mitigate the damages. In the last one, the headline says, we're all still using the same passwords even after they've been breached. And again, just more research outlining that people are still reusing bad passwords, even when they know they've been breached and they're just like, eh, it's whatever. And they just leave it out there. Get your friends to use password managers. We recommend Bitwarden, KeyPass is another good one. At this point, anything is better than reusing the same crappy passwords. Try to get your friends and family to use password managers. Everybody benefits when we do. With that, we will move into the politics section, and we're gonna start off with a whole bunch of updates from the story in Ukraine. Again, I wanna reiterate, we are not happy that there's a war going on. We wish people would find diplomatic solutions for these problems. Unfortunately, we live in the real world where there are dictators and bad people, so that is unfortunately kind of wishful thinking to an extent. But we also wanna remind people, the cyber aspect of this story is just a sliver of what's going on. There are other real important things happening. There's shellings, there's sieging. It's not a good situation. And we just wanna keep that in perspective. So here's what's happened in the last week since we last spoke about this. Ukraine has recruited an IT army, that's the official name, the IT army, to hack Russian entities, and they have listed 31 targets. They have set up a Telegram channel where they are handing out missions and keeping everything organized. You can go join this, but as the article points out, you should think very, very carefully before you do. 
These actions might get a blind eye for now, maybe, but technically a lot of what they're going to be asking you to do is illegal. And if you are not careful, it could come back to bite you. You could end up on a list of some kind, or you could end up facing legal action or something like that. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I am just going to say, keep in mind, there may be consequences for your actions if you choose to join this. Ukraine says the IT army has already taken down several key Russian sites like Kremlin.ru, Belarus.by, I don't know how to pronounce that bank, I'm sorry, S-B-E-R bank, Spurbank maybe, .ru, which I think is like a major, major bank in Russia, and many, many more. We are now learning that two strains of malware that specialize in data wiping were deployed in the days leading up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. While this malware was specifically targeted at Ukraine, the US, as well as other countries, are warning to be on guard anyways. It is really, really easy for malware to get loose once it has been deployed. Avast, the antivirus company, has released a decryptor of the Hermetic Ransom ransomware strain for free for anyone in Ukraine. That is one of the two malwares that was loose. Singapore is also advising all of their organizations in the country to step up their cybersecurity defenses in light of this conflict, and they are setting up a digital intelligence unit. Google is helping out by stepping up security for Ukrainian users. They are enabling two-factor authentication for those who didn't already have it, and they are reminding people of their advanced protection program, which is supposed to offer additional security for high-risk individuals. They have also enabled safe browsing for all Chrome users in the region in order to help fight malicious attacks. Safe browsing is basically, it's like Google's DNS. If you start to navigate to a website that is known to be malicious or known to spread viruses or possibly compromised, it'll warn you. Snapchat is disabling their user heat map in Ukraine. Personal opinion here, if you have to disable a product for user safety when things go bad, you probably shouldn't have made that product exist in the first place. That's just my opinion. Maybe that's an overly broad statement. Hoya, or maybe it's Jola, Joya, I don't know. Anyways, they're the makers of Sailfish OS, which is an Android ROM. They are trying to cut ties with Rostelecom, which is a Russian telecom investor, which I think we actually covered that story like last year or something. They got a bunch of funding from them and they were really excited because it was going to make them very sustainable. The article says that they are still pretty sustainable even without this particular arrangement. So this shouldn't really affect them in terms of sustainability and continuing operations. But the article just kind of goes into detail about Joya's business structure and why this is a really difficult thing for them to just like cut them off and be like, hey, we're done with you. It's not quite that easy, unfortunately. Russia, unfortunately, is moving to quell dissent and control free speech. They have introduced a bill that gives up to 15 years in prison for the publication of fake news. There's more to this story. We encourage you to read it, but that is kind of the privacy part of this story. And last but not least, VPN downloads in Russia have spiked as a result of Russia cracking down on free speech and censorship. Unfortunately, most of the VPNs that are allowed in Russia have already bent the knee, and they're allowed in Russia because they basically allowed the Russian government to man-in-the-middle Russian VPNs. So if you know anybody in Russia, please guide them towards a good, reputable VPN. This is kind of an older article, and we did cover it on a previous surveillance report, but I'm going to go ahead and link an article that shows you which ones have been, uh, there's 15 total that have been banned in Russia because they refuse to man in the middle their VPN for the Russian government. Proton VPN is on the list, by the way. They are one of the VPNs that we encourage the use of. Okay, that is all the updates we have for Ukraine at this time. Moving into other political stories. We're going to start in the U.S. where the Senate has passed the Cybersecurity Act that forces organizations to report cyber attacks and ransomware payments. 
This applies specifically to critical infrastructure organizations who must report cyber attacks to CISA within 72 hours and ransomware payments within 24 hours. This cybersecurity bill passed unanimously. The US has openly voiced our support for Ukraine, and I'm sure Russia's not happy about that. And truth be told, they've already been wiping the floor with us in cyberspace in terms of like hacking us and running operations. So maybe everybody just kind of realized, oh man, we wrote a really big check and we better be able to back it up now. This also included the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, which allows federal agencies to quickly adopt cloud-based tech to improve operations and efficiency. All right, on the state level, we have a couple stories. First of all, the cops built a shadowy surveillance machine in Minnesota after George Floyd's murder. I'm going to go ahead and quote the article because they sum it up really well. Law enforcement agencies in Minnesota have been carrying out a secretive, long-running surveillance program targeting civil rights activists and journalists in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd in May 2020. Run under a consortium known as Operation Safety Net, the program was set up a year ago, ostensibly to maintain public order as Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin went on trial for Floyd's murder. But an investigation by MIT Technology Review reveals that the initiative expanded far beyond its publicly announced scope to include expansive use of tools to scour social media, track cell phones, and amass detailed images of people's faces. Documents obtained via public records requests show that the operation persisted long after Chauvin's trial concluded. What's more, they show the police used the extensive investigation powers they'd been afforded under the operation to monitor individuals who weren't suspected of any crime." Unquote. This is why those of us in the privacy community are like so hard on government surveillance because they constantly go above and beyond what they're afforded. I'm not saying I forgive it, but it's one thing to say, we need to use surveillance to target bad guys. The problem is every time someone says that, suddenly everybody's a bad guy. That's why we're all so skeptical of this is they keep repeatedly doing it. I think that kind of spoke for itself. This is not good because first of all, secretive, shadowy, but also went well beyond its intended use and they clearly overstepped what they were supposed to do and the limits that had been put in place. For our next story, the Attorney General Mara Healy from Massachusetts has launched an investigation along with other attorneys generals from California, Florida, Kentucky, Nebraska, New Jersey, Tennessee, Vermont, and of course Massachusetts into the harms of TikTok. Specifically, they are trying to investigate what harms occur in use and if TikTok is aware of those harms and what they are doing to try and mitigate them. That's pretty much the whole story. Just want to let you guys know that is happening. TikTok is now under investigation. We do have some good news coming out of San Francisco. The mayor has withdrawn harmful measures against the surveillance oversight law. I'm going to go ahead and quote the article again. San Francisco Mayor London Breed has pulled a harmful ballot initiative that threatened to gut the city's landmark 2019 surveillance oversight ordinance. The mayor and the San Francisco Police Department recently used public fears of crime as justification to introduce the proposed ballot initiative, which would have created massive exceptions to the ordinance's requirement that police get permission from democratically elected supervisors before using or acquiring any new surveillance tech. Breed specifically wanted to allow police unilateral authority to access networks of surveillance cameras they had previously used without board approval to spy on protests in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Several members of the Board of Supervisors countered this initiative by offering their own ballot measure, which would have strengthened rather than undermined the surveillance oversight ordinance. Now that the mayor has pulled her ballot initiative, the supervisors have done the same. Personally, I say, why, why pull yours? Why not strengthen it? Why not make surveillance harder? But I'm also biased, you know, obviously. 
Anyways, that is good that the mayor has withdrawn the measure. Our next story comes from the UK. The English Channel surveillance is being used to deter and punish migrants. This article is outlining how the UK is using surveillance technology on their borders to keep immigrants out. The article kind of started off by saying that the technology should be used to create safe options for legal immigration, but they didn't really go on to explain what that would look like or how that would work. Anyways, they discuss the type of marketing surrounding these measures, using it to like rescue people that are trapped in the channel and the type of surveillance, which is largely satellite and aerial. Again, just one of those things we're trying to bring your attention to if you live in that area. Here's another interesting story. The headline says insurance coverage for not Petya losses. This comes from Bruce Schneier and the article says Tara Wheeler and Josephine Wolf are analyzing a recent court decision that the not Petya tax are not considered an act of war under the wording of Merck's insurance policy and that the insurers must pay the over $1 billion claim. Basically sharing this because not Petya was a really big deal. Like it's, it's one of those critical moments in cyber history that I think is really worth knowing about. And if you do not know about NotPetya and you want to know more, we will include an episode of Darknet Diaries that talks about it. Our next story comes from the Philippines. It says, veto the SIM card registration bill, protect fundamental human rights. So this is just a petition calling for Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte to veto the country's proposed SIM card registration act. This is basically just a signal boost. If you guys live in the Philippines and I've heard not good things about that guy, so I don't know if it's safe to sign this, but if you feel safe signing this, by all means, please do. And last but not least, we have another paper out of Uganda. This is a legal analysis of Uganda's national ID legislation and its compliance with international human rights obligations. This is a pretty long read, but it is totally worth it. Uganda recently implemented a new national ID system, and this analysis from Unwanted Witness is basically pointing out all the privacy issues with it. Among many other issues, they claim that it has widened inequality, that it actually does not comply with existing legislation and it is not transparent or accountable enough. Again, really good read. I totally recommend it for anyone who wants a much more global picture of what privacy protections and fights are going on in other parts of the world. That was a huge politics section. Thank you guys for being with us. We're now gonna move into FOSS, free and open source software. And we're gonna start off with a pretty big one. Orbot is now available for iOS. Orbot, for those who don't know, is basically a Tor connection for your device. It's been available on Android for quite a while, and it allows you to funnel all of your traffic through Tor. With the Android version, you could actually split tunnel. So you could say, I just want to send these specific apps through Tor and everything else is fine. The iOS version, unfortunately, does not allow split tunneling. It's all or nothing. I will weigh in on that in a second. Let me say what Henry said first, because he actually had a really good opinion of this. He said, in my opinion, this is only good. Orba is just a more trusted VPN alternative with the consequences of being very slow. It's Tor without all the anonymity perks. Um, this this is kind of in response to what I said in the notes. I agree that its main use case is being a trusted alternative to a free VPN, but it also offers a neat use case of being more foolproof than a VPN solution in that Tor is, for some, more trusted than a VPN and has the advantage of being decentralized and onion routed, of course. Regardless, the main thing is for people to know that it is not an alternative to the Tor browser. So some of what he said, like I said, touched on my opinion, which my opinion is I'm actually not a big fan of Orbot because like I said, in, in all or nothing mode, which is what I'm going to call it, where you're not split tunneling. In my opinion, I think it kind of defeats the purpose to use Tor to send all of your phone's telemetry as well. Like I said, if you're using split tunneling and you're only sending certain things through, I think that's fine. But in this iOS case where you're going to be sending everything through Tor, I think you're kind of losing the anonymity in a 
a lot of effectiveness. With like an iPhone, you can't really be sure exactly how much telemetry you're blocking at any given time. That said, I do actually agree with Henry in the sense that if you cannot afford a VPN, I think this is probably better than nothing. And a VPN is very centralized, whereas the Tor network is decentralized. So I do think it has some ups and downs. I think we can both agree that like he said, you're probably gonna lose your anonymity if you use this. So as he said, it's not a replacement for the Tor browser, but if you cannot afford a VPN, then I do agree that this is a really good viable alternative. Either way, it's free and it's official from the Tor project. So feel free to go to the app store, download it, check it out, see if it's what you need, if it fits your, your use case and your threat model. That's really all that matters. If it fits your threat model and it's right for you, then my opinion doesn't matter. Our next story comes from Mozilla and it is a doozy. The headline says Mozilla appears to be testing new tab page background ads in Firefox mobile. The new Firefox beta appears to be showing ads for an upcoming Disney Pixar movie as part of the background image collection when you first open the browser. The author of this article was unable to replicate this, but they speculated that maybe this campaign was geographically limited and that's why they didn't see it, but they did see someone else talking about it and they even provided screenshots to show it. This appears to be part of some sort of deal that was made with Disney Pixar a little while ago, but the details of this arrangement were never disclosed. So maybe this is part of it is like, hey, we're gonna start inserting some ads. This also appears to be part of Mozilla's efforts to find ways to monetize outside of their infamous Google search deal. For those who don't know, Google is the default engine in Firefox, search engine. That is because Google pays Mozilla a crap ton of money to make it the default search engine because Google knows that most people don't change the defaults. Most people don't even know that there are other search engines out there other than like really crappy ones like Bing and Yahoo. So if Firefox comes with Google, most people aren't gonna question it. Whereas if Firefox came with DuckDuckGo, which I know is Bing and I just said Bing sucks. But if it comes with like DuckDuckGo or StartPage or something like that, people might be like, oh, what's this? Let me try it out. It's a horrible deal with the devil, but it keeps Firefox afloat. I think Mozilla knows this is a really unpopular arrangement, or maybe they just know it's really bad practice to be entirely dependent on one company. So they've been trying to find other ways to monetize, which is why they're constantly pumping out things like their Mozilla VPN and stuff like that. This appears to be just another effort to find ways to monetize. Is it a good one? I don't know. I guess I'll leave that up to you guys. Our last FOSS story comes from Matrix, where Matrix has introduced native voiceover IP calls with Element. Basically, Element has added group video calls. This is yet another alternative to Zoom and Skype and things like that for video software. It does not require any new software or hardware. You can self-host as always, or if you just wanna check it out and see what it's about, you can go to calls.element.io. With that, we will move into Misfits. Our first story says the quiet way advertisers are tracking your browsing. This is a really good article that I think you guys should read, but basically it just explores browser fingerprinting. Browser fingerprinting is incredibly complicated, especially if you're new to privacy and tracking and all this stuff, definitely go read this article because it's very enlightening. It's just kind of a reminder to all of us out there. It takes a lot more than just slapping on a VPN and uBlock origin. It's so much more complicated than that to stay private. And it's also, and maybe I'm a little biased when I say this, I think this is kind of a, a call to check your browser strategy because I know some people like using, for example, some people like using Pale Moon because it has its own browser engine. So it's not Chrome, it's not Firefox, it totally gets you out of their ecosystem. But like how many people are using Pale Moon? probably makes you easier to fingerprint and makes you stand out. This is something to be aware of. That's all I'm trying to say. This is uh, something that you should definitely put some thought into. And if you're not familiar with browser fingerprinting, definitely give this article a read. 
Our next story is a really quick one. The headline is super clickbaity. It says, this hotel is using technology in a truly creepy way, but some will like it. Basically, the hotel is adding sound sensors to enforce quiet hours. I couldn't tell if this is like a hotel hotel or like one of those long-term hotels you live in. The article wasn't really clear. They're just using sound sensors. And if you're too loud, too late at night, you get a warning. This is one of those things that we want to keep an eye on this. We want to see if this is the direction the future goes in, if more places start incorporating this, or if this is a one-off. And our last story says Reality Winner's Twitter account was hacked to target journalists. For those who don't know, Reality Winner is a former American intelligence specialist for the U.S. Army who was sentenced to five years and three months for leaking classified data showing that Russia interfered with the 2016 U.S. elections. She has since been released. I think she was let go early for good behavior, or maybe she was pardoned, something like that. The article does not specify how she was hacked. They don't say if it was phishing or something else, but she did confirm like, yes, my account was hacked and it was used to like DM journalists and other people and try to con them into clicking on phishing links and stuff like that. This is just a reminder that nobody is immune, no matter how hardcore your security posture. And if you're using your own BSD kernel that you compiled from the ground up and you went and mined the silicon out of the ground and made your own computer from scratch, it doesn't matter. You still have to be on your toes and make good decisions. That's what I mean when I say it doesn't matter, by the way. Not like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, just throw in the towel. But you are not bulletproof. No one is bulletproof. No one is invincible. Always stay on your toes. Always be alert because it can happen to the best of people. I don't know much about her or her training, but I would like to imagine that she probably is aware of things like don't click phishing links, use good passwords, but it still happened. These things can happen. That was all of our news for this report. We had some really exciting FOSS news. We had a lot of research coming out in the political sphere, and hopefully politicians will listen to it. We, of course, have some ongoing stories like the NVIDIA story and, of course, Ukraine. For the record, I know it's all over the news cycle. I know a lot of you guys are probably tired of hearing about it, but it's really important stuff we got to talk about. So we will do our best to keep you guys updated with everything, hopefully not wear you out with some of the more repeated stories. As always, our goal is to keep you guys updated on privacy and security stuff. Once again, we want to remind you, get subscribed to the new channel. We want to get as many of you over there as possible before we start uploading. We don't want you to miss any content. And as a bonus, if you're over there and you start interacting with it right away, you will be able to help boost our performance. We are always trying to get the privacy message out out to people. And if we hit the ground running and you guys are right there with us, liking and commenting and sharing and stuff like that, that's going to do wonders. So please, please go check out the new channel link in the description, and we will start putting out content very, very soon. We want to thank you for listening to Surveillance Report. We are very happy to know that you are trying to stay safe out there. Final thing we want to ask of you, like I said, we're trying to reach people. So share the podcast around, make sure you're subscribed, go subscribe on the new channel, give us a like, give us a rating. If you're on a platform where that's an option, all of these little things help the message of privacy to reach new people and tell the algorithms that this is content people are interested in and they share it more. With all that said, thank you once more for listening and Henry, we'll see you guys next week.